Our scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 17. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 17. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word. Lord, enlighten to us your word by your Holy Spirit. Through the working of your Holy Spirit, this word read and proclaimed to us may be a means of your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now the reading and uh, of the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. How is it that men who still lie under the wrath and curse of God and are heirs of hell enjoy so many good gifts at the hand of God? How is it that men who are not savingly renewed by the Spirit of God nevertheless exhibit so many qualities, gifts, and accomplishments that promote the preservation, temporal happiness, cultural progress, social and economic improvement of themselves and of others? How is it that races and peoples that have been apparently 
untouched by the redemptive and regenerative influences of the gospel, contributes so much to what we call human civilization. To put the question most comprehensively, how is it that this sin-cursed world enjoys so much favor and kindness at the hand of its holy and ever-blessed creator? And just so you know, those aren't my questions. Those are questions asked by John Murray, written in his collected writings under an essay entitled Common Grace. Common Grace is that answer to the question, how is it that this sin-cursed world and even those who do not have the regenerative Holy Spirit who are fallen and are inheritors of the curse of Adam and are totally depraved in every part can present and offer things that better civilization, society, can even exhibit qualities such as kindness and generosity. This passage that we have before us this morning seeks to answer those questions and hopefully express that even though there is a common grace by which all humanity, civilization, and all creation experience temporal blessings from God, and there is a special grace that we have received in Jesus Christ that far exceeds that common grace. And that's why our theme this morning is that God promises the protection of humanity for the sake of his people. God promises the protection of creation for the sake of his people. We have two points this morning. The first is the cultural mandate, and the second is the Noahic covenant. So let's begin by addressing that first point, the cultural mandate. Of course, when we think of the cultural mandate in the Bible, we typically think of that passage given in Genesis, the very first chapter, where God said to the humanity after he created them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And in a lot of ways, when we think of the cultural mandate, we think of its new covenant counterpart. In Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. But often we don't think about this renewal of the cultural mandate in Genesis chapter 9. But it makes sense if Genesis chapter 8 and 9 are a recreation narrative following the destruction of the creation that came before and the new creation that is presenting itself in the story of Noah as these flood waters have receded. That this new humanity, this new Adam, Noah and his wife and his family would receive another cultural mandate. And that's exactly what happens. This section is basically a renewal of the original divine mandate given to mankind by God at the creation in Genesis 1. And the reason why this sermon is titled Covenant Renewal. Genesis 9 is a recreation account. So this is a new mandate which follows the same pattern 
as the original mandate given in the Garden of Eden. Verse 1, we read this statement, God blessed Noah and his sons. This opening is almost a direct quote of the cultural mandate given by God to mankind in Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. This shows that Noah is a second Adam involved in a recreation scenario. God wants mankind to produce and to be prolific, to fill the world with image bearers. He said it to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, and he's saying it again to Noah and his family. This inherently is an expression of the goodness of humanity. A lot of times these days, we hear about population control. And the need for abortifacients and birth control. And the fact that we should not be having children in our day and age with the global warming on the rise. And, and the reality that we're going to run out of space on this earth that, uh, that we're living on. That is inherently an anti-biblical, anti-Christian perspective. There is nothing better for this creation. There's nothing better for this world that God created than than therefore to be more image bearers who live upon it. That's what God is saying here. That's what he said in Genesis 1. Verses 2 and 3, though, continue this. And it follows the pattern of Adam in Genesis 1 and 2 as well. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea that are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. With some slight differences happening between this cultural mandate and the one given to Adam in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1.28, God tells Adam, rule over the fish of the sea. And in verse 29, God said to Adam, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. But here we see a progression. In Genesis 9, God tells Noah that the fear of you will be in all the creatures. And that there is an extension upon the diet that is allowed. God gave to Adam every seed-bearing plant. But here, God tells Noah, everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the grain plants, I now give you everything. Now mankind is allowed to be meat eaters and not just vegetarian. Plus the apparent harmonious order between animals and mankind that existed prior to the fall is no longer going to hold. And I make that uh, leap by going to scriptures that talk about the new heavens and the new earth. And children will play with animals and there won't be any fear of them getting hurt. The wolf and the lamb shall lie down together. This picture of a harmonious interaction between animals and humanity is expressed by God saying, you rule over the animals, but you're not at war with the animals. They won't turn on you. 
But here, God says, now, as the effect of the curse is going into creation, there's a fear and dread of humanity that's going to fall upon the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air. The animals now will fear mankind. Mankind's dominion now is not one that is a reality. It's more one that is fought, kept. It's filled with enmity. That's why when you go to circuses and you see those lion tamers, you always say to yourself, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. That's why at our house when our little daughter likes to walk up to our dogs and grab the dog's face and stick her little face in the dog's face and go, so cute. There's a little bit of nervousness inside you. It's still a dog. You don't know what it's going to do. You think it'll behave and won't cause any issues, but many have thought that before and come away with scars. This is the effect of the curse Continuing in to this new humanity. The first inkling that what we have here is not the final new creation. Sin is very much still a reality. But verse 4 makes a restriction upon this statement that now all food, all living creatures are food for you. God says you must not eat meat that has its life blood still in it. The restriction is even though man may now eat meat, they may not eat an animal with blood in it. The animal must be slaughtered and the blood drained from it. And this is going to be the basis for the dietary laws that are later spelled out in greater detail in Leviticus 17 and Deuteronomy chapter 12. The basis of this exception, the reason why God is saying you can eat meat, but you can't eat meat with its lifeblood in it, is that the source of life from the Hebrew perspective is in the blood. And it's the primary part of an animal used in the act of atonement and sacrifice. Verse 5 says, And for your life by blood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand accounting for the life of his fellow man. And although mankind is now free to take the life of an animal, they cannot take the life of a person. God strictly forbids the wrongful taking of human life. This is capital punishment being instituted. The murder is now expressly being stated as illegal. Not that it wasn't illegal before, since we know the story of Cain and Abel. The sanctity of human life is being underscored here. And God says a life must be given for a life. In order to emphasize this institution of capital punishment, this institution of laws against murder, the wrongful taking of human life, and God says, 
Verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made man. The poetic nature of the justice is emphasized by the literary construction of this verse. The punishment is equal to the crime committed. And this begins the groundwork for the later development of what we read in the Old Testament law of the people of Israel, what is often called lex talionis. So whenever you read in the Old Testament law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, that has often been misconstrued in our day and age to be a, a law that expresses the wrong, wrong, wrongful nature of God's law, an act of vengeance. Oh, you take my eye, I'm going to take your eye. Oh, you take my tooth, I'm going to take your tooth. But actually, God instituted eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life, in order to express that the punishment must match the crime. And here we are being told that humans are now responsible for carrying out the enforcement of this punishment. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Humans are responsible for carrying out the enforcement of the punishment. Now this is the scriptural basis for what will come to later be understood as the civil realm. The institution that God creates that we call government. The basis for the scripture passages in the New Testament that we read like Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. The reason why we're told in the scriptures that the civil magistrates, the governing authorities, are those who wield the sword. They're the ones who are instituted by God to be God's servants, who are given the responsibility of carrying out justice. And justice means... The punishment matches the crime. And in the case of capital punishment, that means if you murder someone, your life is taken. That is just. And central to the law of capital punishment is the truth that people are made in the image of God. This is something that we need to understand. The killing of a person, the wrongful killing of a person, is the destruction of an image bearer. Is the destruction of an image of God. That's why killing another human being is wrong. Because there is inherent value and dignity in the life of an image bearer. And verse 7 then ends just as verse 1 began. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. 
multiply on the earth and increase upon it to function as an inclusio, a closing of this section. The final two lines function as bookends to the section, stressing the main themes as the command of fruitfulness. The cultural mandate being that Noah, as the father of this new humanity, is instructed to go and to procreate and to fill the earth, to subdue it. The poetic justice of the implementation, implementation of the rightful taking of human life for the crime of murder. That's what this is. Part of this cultural mandate is the foundation for the building of the civil magistrate and civil government instituted by God to carry the sword and to bring punishment to those who do wrong and to reward those who do good. We've come a long way from that. The poetic justice of the implementation of this rightful taking of human life for the crime of murder is that it culminates in the wrongful punishment of Jesus Christ by the civil magistrates. It is in the taking of his life, the life that is in the blood, which is what is being pointed to us by God saying, these animals, you must not eat them with the lifeblood in them. That... Christ becomes the final sacrifice wrongfully put to death on the cross for crime he did not commit. You see, when it came to Jesus Christ, his punishment was the ultimate receiving of a punishment that did not, meet, meet, did not match the crime. Yet, in a very real sense, his punishment expresses the perfect justice of God. But what about... The second point, the Noahic Covenant, verse 8 through 17. In verse 8 through 10, we are introduced to God saying to Noah and his sons, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. With every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. The two parties in this covenant, God and Noah and his family, and all living creatures. But the Hebrew begins with literally these words, now I behold I. It's an emphatic construction. It shows that God will surely make this covenant. And this covenant is possessive because even though there are two parties in this covenant, it's unilateral in the sense that God is saying, I will make my covenant with you. The covenant belongs to God and he is offering it to humanity. The word covenant is used seven times in this section and because the, word, the number seven is so meaningful in the Bible, it can relate to the completeness or fullness 
in Hebrew culture. Verse 11, we read, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God makes his covenant with humanity. A promise to never destroy all flesh with the waters of the flood. And the verbiage of this line shows that this covenant is one that is maintained and renewed. That the activity is ongoing. It's continuous. God will continue to keep this covenant. And as is typical of covenants in Scripture and covenants in ancient Near Eastern cultures, there's a sign, a sign given for this covenant. The covenant with Abraham, the sign is circumcision. The covenant in the New Testament is a sign of baptism. And the Lord's Supper. And here, the covenant sign given is a bow. God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and earth. God now provides a physical sign for the covenant. And this is a visible object that reflects a spiritual reality. And what we read is the sign is a bow in the cloud. There's not a Hebrew word for the word rainbow. The word given here in Hebrew is the same word given for a bow and an arrow. The one you use for arrows. Bow is most often used as a weapon. In the Mesopotamian creation legend, after Marduk destroys Tiamat and the gods of chaos by using a bow, the gods then hang his bow in the sky and it becomes a constellation of stars. But in the story of Noah, God hangs his bow in the sky to signify the end of hostility and the beginning of peace. And as a point of foreshadowing, the bow points upward to the heavens, almost as if to say, the next judgment that comes will not be pointed at you, humanity, in creation. It will be pointed at myself. Verse 14, following, God says, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds... I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. God now promises that when he brings rain, he will also bring the bow to appear. That's where the name comes from, rainbow. And when God looks at the bow, he will remember his covenant with all flesh. He's actively involved in sustaining his covenant promises. God's creating a sign to symbolize the covenant, this Noahic covenant. A covenant that's established with all humanity. 
not simply God's redeemed people, but all people, all creatures, creation. A covenant God has made with all humanity that is for the preservation of human life and creation. The founding of the state, the civil magistrate. A covenant of common grace. A promise that God will sustain all creation. Not indefinitely, but for his purposes and to his end. And this is important for us as God's people because I believe it's important that we capture once again the sign of the rainbow. It's been stolen by our modern society to represent something else. Pride. Pride in one's sin. One's distortion of human sexuality. I would say it's been stolen so much by the modern society and the groups which have chosen to take this sign and appropriate for themselves that Christians would be concerned about wearing a rainbow t-shirt out in public. And it might be misconstrued as support of something that they don't support. But in a very real sense, it's not irony that a group of people who are proud of their rebellion against God would choose to appropriate a sign of a covenant that ensures that they will not receive condemnation and judgment that they deserve, that the creation that they live in will continue to go forward, that the society and the culture that they live in will appropriate for them many graces and privileges because of God's common grace. But the rainbow, I mean, I'm sure many of us have a memory of just a beautiful rainbow. In fact, one of the prettiest things that I think has happened since moving to South Holland is that when it rains, the positioning of Cottage Grove after a rainstorm actually makes a beautiful symmetrical rainbow that goes from one side of the church all the way over the top of the church down the other side. And I thought this was a once-off thing, but I've seen it, my kids have seen it multiple times since moving here. And it's neat for me to see that contrast because that rainbow, that sign of the rainbow, it's not just for the church. It's for all humanity that that rainbow that appears in the sky is meant to communicate to all mankind, not simply Christians, not simply God's people, that God has promised to preserve creation, to not bring judgment in the flood like he's done before. That God has promised to preserve civilization and culture and society. God has promised to do that. 
so that through this creation and in this creation and civilization and culture and society, Christ could come and be the redeemer of humanity. That Christ could come and his people receive the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And that his people could go forward and, and, and share the good news of Jesus Christ in creation and in culture and society and civilization. You see, centuries later, the prophet Isaiah will proclaim a message of judgment and restoration. Because of the many sins of Judah and Israel, both nations, God said, would be destroyed. Yet the prophet would proclaim salvation for those who follow the Lord. This salvation would happen through the work of a suffering servant, a Messiah. And then in the midst of these promises relating to the suffering servant, Isaiah announces the following words from chapter 54, verse 9 and 10. For this is like the days of Noah to me. God saying, when I swore that the waters of Noah should not flood the earth again, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my covenant loyalty will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. These same promises apply to the people of God today. Instead of the wrath of God, we've received the covenant of peace. Instead of receiving the arrows shot from God's bow, we've received the washing of God's reign of grace. And God has covenanted with humanity to preserve this earth so that his son could come, live, die, and be resurrected for the sake of his people. He's pointed the bow at himself. He's taken the arrows of his own wrath, poured it out on his son, Jesus Christ. So that in Jesus Christ, a new humanity could be created. Of which... We are the first fruits. God promises the protection of humanity and the civilization and creation for the sake of his people. And every day that we live on this creation that belongs to God, that does not completely unravel itself and fall into utter chaos and destruction. Every day that we live in a civilization that is still clinging to the remnants of a Christian worldview where love of neighbor matters, where doing what is right and good is rewarded and appropriate, where there are such things as law and order. And every day that people live in this creation, where they take for granted those things that hold together so that they can have a good life. Where the rain comes and falls and the unrighteous and the righteous 
And they take those things for granted. They appreciate those common graces that God gives them while all the while rejecting God and rebelling against him. These are things that are meant to lead them to repentance. To a realization of their need for God. And that's why God continues his covenant with Noah. The promise of protection for creation, for all humanity, and for all living creatures. Because God's covenant with his son was that he would come into this world to live and to die and to be resurrected for the elect, for his chosen people. And this creation that we experience now, fallen, but kept by God from falling further, will continue on until each and every one which Christ was sent to redeem comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And when that moment happens, when all that Christ has died for has come to completion, the creation itself groaning and us inwardly groaning in our spirits, the, 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 the temporary covenant with Noah will bring and come to an end and there will be an immersion of the covenant of grace and its fullness. A new creation, a new heavens and a new earth where there's no need for a civil magistrate for God is king of kings and lord of lords. He rules over his creation perfectly and all his people are without sin, without corruption. Where Christ we see face to face is the one whom this creation was preserved for. And the creation that we see now will not be entirely unlike the creation we will see then because we are told God is making all things new, not all new things. But what is wrong with this creation will pass away. And so, we praise God for his common grace because then it's an expression of his goodness It's every favor falling short of salvation, which this undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God. This includes the delay of wrath, the mitigation of our sin natures, natural events that lead to prosperity, and all gifts that human use and enjoy naturally. Because it is through this common grace that we all had the opportunity to experience the special grace of God. In Jesus Christ. And may it be that this common grace expressed in the sign of the rainbow continue unto all who were ordained to receive the special grace of God in Jesus Christ have done so. May it be this day that if anybody has heard this message, and are only recipients of the common grace of God, a non-salvific grace, they would also turn to Jesus Christ and believe in Him and find Him to be a perfect Savior. Amen. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank You 
for your word. Thank you for your covenant with Noah. Thank you that, Lord, you put your bow in the sky. Thank you that you've made us in your image. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to preserve and protect all creation and all living creatures for the sake of your Son and the redemption of your people. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.